Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Amira's Q4 2020 Analyst Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded today, Tuesday, February 16, 2021, at 9.30 Atlantic time. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Aaron Power, MRS Manager, Investor Relations, please go ahead. Thank you, Chris, and thank you all for joining us this morning for AMERA's fourth quarter 2020 conference call and live webcast. AMERA's fourth quarter earnings release was distributed this morning via Newswire, and the financial statements, management's discussion and analysis, and the presentation being referenced on this call are available on our website at amera.com. Joining me for this morning's call are Scott Balfour, Amera's President and Chief Executive Officer, Greg Blunden, Amera's Chief Financial Officer, and other members of Amera's management team. Before we begin, I will take a moment to advise you that this morning's discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slide. Today's discussion and presentation will also include references to non-GAAP financial measures. You should refer to the appendix for definitional information and reconciliations of historical non-GAAP measures to the closest GAAP financial measure. And now, I will turn things over to Scott. Thank you, Aaron, and good morning, everyone. Let me start with this overarching message, that while we never could have anticipated at the start of last year what 2020 would bring, I'm incredibly proud of the way the Amir team responded and continues to navigate through the unprecedented challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. The financial results we achieved this year and the significant progress we made on advancing our strategy are a testament to the strength and resiliency of our people, our portfolio, and our strategy. Overall, I'm pleased with the financial results that we delivered in 2020. While the results for some of our utilities fell short of expectations we set for ourselves before the our adjusted earnings per share for the year was almost exactly in line with our plan for the year. Key within that, our overall regulated portfolio performed very well and collectively delivered over delivered year-over-year -year earnings growth of 13%. No small feat considering the additional challenges our businesses faced last year. Our regulated portfolio continues to be the primary driver of our growth. Regulated earnings contributions have been steadily and predictably increasing as we continue to make rate-based investments to reduce carbon emissions and increase reliability, all while keeping customer rates affordable. At Amira, our priority is always the safety of our employees, customers, and the communities we serve. Last year, with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we adapted quickly to change the way we work introducing mandatory safety protocols, and in many cases, requiring teams to work from home. These measures have been successful, and our teams haven't missed a beat. 
they continue to safely deliver the affordable, reliable energy our customers count on while advancing EMIRA's strategy and supporting our communities, notwithstanding the multitude of challenges brought upon by the pandemic. At the same time, in order to support those most impacted by the pandemic, EMIRA, our operating companies, and our employees donated over $6 million last year to organizations providing critical aid, including help with energy costs, food, shelter, and mental health. I'm proud of how our teams stepped up in 2020 to help our communities and to make meaningful progress on EMIRA's capital plan, strategy, and other objectives. In March, we completed the sale of EMIRA Maine, which concluded our asset sale program. Our successful execution of this program significantly strengthened our balance sheet and positions EMIRA well for future growth. We executed on the largest annual capital program in our history, and even with the additional health and safety protocols in place, kept our large capital projects on schedule and on budget. This included the final portion of the first 600 megawatts of solar generation at Tampa Electric, putting 6 million solar panels into service. This is a significant milestone. And notably, Tampa Electric now has more solar generation in service on a per-customer basis than any other utility in Florida. And we're not stopping there. Last year, we announced and began construction on another 600 megawatts of solar for benefit of Tampa Electric customers. We also made great progress on the modernization of Big Bend Station in Tampa, and we remain on track to bring the first phase of the project online later this year. We continued to deploy smart meters in Nova Scotia, Florida, and the Caribbean, with well over a million now in operation. On the regulatory front, People's Gas and New Mexico Gas both negotiated constructive regulatory settlements, with new base rates going into effect last month and we further enhanced our environment, social, and governance commitments and disclosures, issuing our fourth sustainability update, update last fall, which incorporated the SASB and TCFD disclosure frameworks. We're proud of our ESG track record, and we believe that we have a great story to tell, and we're working hard to tell it better by providing the data that matters most to our stakeholders and being transparent about our performance. The climate commitment we announced today is an important step in articulating our decarbonization journey over the past 15 years, as well as our commitment to do even more. Our strategy is designed to both prepare for and capitalize on the trends facing our industry, decarbonization, decentralization, and digitalization. Decarbonization has been central to Amira's strategy for over 15 years. It's more than what we do. It's part of who we are. It's been a key driver of our growth, and it's been inspiring us to keep innovating to deliver the energies, the energy our customers count on while never losing sight of affordability. With our dedicated team, strong track record, and our investments in renewables, low-carbon energy sources, transmission, and grid modernization, we've already transformed the way we deliver energy. Since 2005, we've reduced our CO2 emissions by 39% and we've reduced our coal use by almost 70%, and we have what it takes to do even more. This morning, we announced our climate commitment, three new clear decarbonization goals, and our vision to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. 
With existing technologies and resources and the benefit of supportive regulatory decisions, we plan and expect to achieve the following goals compared to 2005 levels. First, we're on track to achieve a 55% reduction in carbon emissions by 2025. Second, we're also on track to achieve an 80% reduction in coal usage by 2023 and the retirement of our last existing coal unit no later than 2040. And we plan to achieve at least an 80% reduction in CO2 emissions by 2040. Last month, we announced that Tampa Electric will permanently shut down Big Bend Unit 3 in 2023, nearly two decades ahead of its scheduled retirement. In Atlantic Canada, the Atlantic Loop is one such way we could accelerate our coal retirements here in Nova Scotia. While this remains a complex idea, we are encouraged by the momentum we have developed and with the level of engagement by the federal government, provincial governments in the region, and our utility partners. More broadly, we will achieve all these goals and seek to realize our net zero vision by adopting emerging technologies and working constructively with policymakers, regulators, partners, investors, and our communities. And every step of the way, we're committed to never losing sight of affordability and reliability for our customers. Our $7.4 billion capital program supports our climate commitment. Over the next three years, 60% of our capital investment will be directed towards projects that reduce reliance on coal and improve reliability for customers. By the end of 2023, coal will account for less than 10% of Amira's generation, while our renewable energy production will double from 12% today to 27% in 2023. This is Amira's strategy in action, facilitating our transition to lower carbon and improving reliability, all while never losing sight of customer affordability. And by doing all this, we are in turn delivering growth of earnings, cash flow, and dividends for shareholders, creating shareholder value. In this light, our baseline capital program is expected to drive rate-based growth of 7.5% from 2019 to 2023 and we see further upside. We've identified an additional 1.2 billion capital investment opportunities that, if successful, could increase our rate-based growth to 8.5%. We'll continue to update our capital forecasts in the future to keep the market up to date with significant developments. Beyond 2023, I see opportunities to extend this growth well into the future. To deliver on our goals and realize our net zero vision, we will continue to make investments to decarbonize our portfolio, including investments in renewable, en renewable generation and energy storage and transmission. We are also focused on capitalizing on the other industry trends of digitalization and decentralization that will continue to provide investment opportunities. This year, we will be focused on the successful completion of the base rate application at Tampa Electric. Florida is one of the fastest growing states in the nation and Tampa Electric serves nearly 800,000 customers in the fastest growing region in the state. To continue delivering value for our customers, we must plan for the long-term, making investments now that create a better energy future. If approved, the rate application we will make later this spring will increase base rates, enabling us to continue to make significant investments in cleaner, greener, and smarter energy solutions, 
all while keeping rates among the lowest in Florida and well below the national average. The ask outlined in our test year letter reflects a relatively straightforward rate case. Since our last base rate increase in 2013, we've made significant investments to enhance the grid, improve reliability, and reduce our reliance on coal. Our rate case is about having these investments and the investments we'll make over the next three years put into base rates. It's about the capital being invested in projects like Big Bend modernization, automatic smart meters, and in additional solar generation. The straightforward nature of our case, combined with the deep regulatory experience of our team and our history of constructive regulatory outcomes, leaves us confident in the regulatory path in front of us. 2020 was, without question, an unexpectedly challenging year for all of us. But I'm incredibly proud of the success we achieved. As we look forward to 2021, I expect this year will continue to be challenging. But I remain confident that Amira is well positioned to continue to advance our strategy and deliver on our financial commitments. Before I pass the call to Greg, I'd like to take the opportunity to highlight a new board appointment and an important leadership announcement. I'd like to welcome Karen Sheriff to Amira's board of directors. Karen is an accomplished senior executive who brings deep experience in driving innovation, growth, and corporate strategy to the board. And it's my pleasure to share that Archie Collins will be appointed as the next president and CEO of Tampa Electric on May 3rd. Archie brings more than 30 years of experience in the energy industry, and I'm confident that he is the right leader to maintain the positive momentum at Tampa Electric. Nancy Tower will officially retire from Amira at the end of June, and this will be her last analyst call with us. And while I know we will have plenty of opportunity to formally celebrate Nancy's contributions with the team before her official retirement, let me say this today. Over the past 24 years, Nancy has been a key leader in our business and an important part of Amira's growth story and success. I know I speak for the entire team when I say she will be truly missed as a leader, as a colleague, and as a friend. Welcome, Karen, and congratulations, Archie and Nancy. And with that, I'll turn it over to Greg to take you through our financial results. Thank you, Scott, and thank you all for joining us this morning. We accomplished a lot in 2020 in very challenging conditions. Our strong regulated portfolio continued to perform well, allowing us to deliver to our investors. We delivered strong earnings growth from a regulated portfolio. As Scott highlighted, our portfolio delivered annual adjusted earnings growth of 13%. We raised our dividend by 4%, keeping our commitment to provide a predictable, sustainable growing income stream to our investors. We improved the quality of our future earnings and cash flow by negotiating constructive settlement agreements at People's Gas and New Mexico Gas. And we strengthened our balance sheet completing our asset sale program, retiring $390 million of holding company debt, and issuing $490 million of common equity, primarily through our dividend reinvestment and at-the-market programs. This morning, we reported fourth quarter adjusted earnings of $188 million and adjusted earnings for $75 For the year, adjusted earnings were $665 million and adjusted earnings per share was $2.68. Growth in Amira's adjusted earnings per share for the quarter and year-to-date were primarily driven by favorable results at Tampa Electric and the other segment. And now let's get into the details about the results. The sales of our unregulated gas plants in Amira main business continue to provide 
or cause variability in our quarterly and annual results. Normalize for normalizing for their lost operating earnings contributions better highlights the performance of our ongoing business. When normalized for asset sales, our fourth quarter 2019 results would have been 56 cents. And for the full year 2019, the asset sale normalized adjusted earnings per share was $2.31. We'll use these normalized results as a starting point to compare our performance for the fourth quarter and full year 2020. Adjusted earnings per share growth in the fourth quarter was largely driven by strong operating results, the recovery of an outstanding litigation award, and lower corporate interest costs partially offset by higher preferred earnings. In the quarter, Tampa Electric contributed $101 million of earnings compared to $80 million in the quarter of 2019. Consistent with past quarters, Tampa Electric's growth was driven by increased sales to residential customers, higher sober revenues, higher AFUDC earnings from the Big Bend modernization and non-SOBRA solar projects, favorable weather, and customer growth. Excluding the timing impact of the preferred share dividends, fourth quarter earnings from improved largely due to the receipt of an award related to a standing legal claim at TECO, lower corporate interest costs, and the fact that Q4 2019 results include a one-time expense related to Dorian and Grand Bahama Power Company. Other changes in the quarter, including the remaining Amira utilities and share for a net decrease of six cents. Excluding the TECO legal award, on a normalized basis, Amira's Q4 adjusted earnings per share grew by 7% to 60 cents compared to 56 cents in the fourth quarter of 2019. Growth in annual adjusted EPS was driven by many of the same factors. In 2020, Tampa Electric contributed $501 million of earnings, an increase of 20% over 2019. This growth was driven by higher base revenues related to favorable weather, customer growth, and a greater mix of residential sales. In addition, Tampa Electric's earnings benefited from higher APDC from the Big Bend modernization and non-SOBRA solar projects. The impact of favorable weather on Tampa Electric's 2020 results is noteworthy. Compared to 2019, favorable weather conditions increased annual earnings by approximately 14%. As a result, we expect sales volumes and earnings uh, in 2021 will be modestly lower than in 2020. Our remaining electric utilities had lower annual adjusted earnings per share of approximately six cents. Nova Scotia Power's annual earnings contribution was down $8 million due to exceptionally mild weather conditions and lower commercial sales due to COVID-19 pandemic, partially offset by decreased operating costs and higher residential sales. These negative impacts at Nova Scotia Power were partially offset by higher equity maritime link and investments. Results from Nova Scotia Power are below our expectations, but we do expect their earnings to improve next year. Assuming normal weather conditions, we expect their earnings will be higher in 2021 than they were in 2021 within their cloud ROE band. In the Caribbean, annual earnings decreased by $7 million due to lower commercial sales, partially offset by higher residential sales volumes, and recovering load in Grand Bahama Power Company following Hurricane Dorian. Our short-term earnings expectations for the Caribbean are muted but we do expect earnings to increase marginally in 2021 as local economies begin to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic and Grand Bahama continues to recover from Hurricane Dorian. Our gas utilities performed well this year in challenging conditions. 
When normalized for the one-time tax benefits at New Mexico Gas in 2019, earnings from our gas and infrastructure segment were consistent with 2019 results. And notably, and notably, new base rates went into effect at both People's Gas and New Mexico Gas last month. Beginning this year, People's Gas will be allowed to earn between 8.9% and 11% on an equity thickness of 54.7%. We will also be permitted to reverse 34 million U.S. of accumulated depreciation through 2023, largely at our discretion. These new rates are expected to be in place until the end of 2023. At New Mexico Gas, 2021 rates were set based on an implied ROE of 9.75% equity thickness of 52% compared to an ROE of 9.1% in 2020. And these new rates are expected to be in place until the end of 2022. New base rates, continued customer growth, and a recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic are expected to increase 2021 earnings at the gas year. People's Gas expects to earn within its allowed ROE band, and New Mexico Gas expects to earn at or near its allowed return on equity. Finally, annual earnings from the other segment improved largely due to the receipt of an TICO, lower corporate interest costs, and the fact that the 2019 results included $15 million one-time item related to the impacts of Hurricane Dorian on Grand Bahama. This was partially offset by the $10 million gain on sale of a Florida property in the first 2019. On a normalized basis, the mirror's annual 2020 adjusted EPS was 266 as compared to 231 from 2019, a growth rate of 15%. Moving to adjusted EBITDA and cash flow, Annual EBITDA, that's earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, was modestly higher than in 2019. Higher EBITDA contributions from Tampa Electric more than offset the lost EBITDA from Amir Maine and the sale of our unregulated gas plants. Pre-working capital operating cash flow in 2020 was down $118 million, or 11% compared to 2019. And as anticipated, most of this declines due to the sale of Amir Maine in Q1 and our unregulated gas plants in the first quarter of 2019. Over the past couple of years, we have been focused on strengthening our balance sheet. Since 2018, we have successfully executed on our asset sale program and reduced our consolidated leverage by over 700 basis points. As a result, we are now back to our targeted capital structure and our cash flow debt metrics have been steadily increasing. But we have more work to do. We have improved the denominator of our credit metrics and now we are focused on strengthening the numerator. Over the next two years, we expect to see an increase in our annual regulated cash flow as a result of new base rates at People's Gas, New Mexico Gas, and Tampa Electric, and increased cash flow from Amir Newfoundland with the completion of Muskrat Falls later this year. These factors are expected to drive a meaningful improvement in our operating cash flow and set us on a clear path to achieve the targeted metrics set by the credit rating agencies. Management continues its focus on strengthening cash flow to mitigate short-term cash flow variables. The $36 million outstanding legal award that we collected in the quarter is an example of these efforts. This incremental cash flow is a source of funds to finance our capital program and to mitigate the impacts and the COVID-19 pandemic on our business as we transition to new base rates at Tampa Electric in 2022. Executing on our funding plan we outlined last quarter will allow us to credit metrics. Funding for a $7.4 billion capital program is expected to come predominantly from reinvested operating cash flows 
and debt issued at the regulated operating companies. The balance is expected to be funded through common equity from our dividend reinvestment and at the market programs and preferred equity to balance us to our targeted capital structure. And as we've noted in the past, we continually monitor the hybrid security market of opportunity based upon investor demand. Recently, we've noted an improving tone for preferred shares, and we view this as a positive development for the industry and market access overall. Our approach to hybrid securities offerings has always been disciplined and has historically involved the use of a base shelf perspective program. I am pleased with how our resilient portfolio performed in 2020 and the financial results we delivered for our shareholders. We are entering 2021 well positioned to capitalize on the tremendous growth opportunities we see in front of us. We will continue to execute on our proven strategy, which will drive growth and investment for our investors and deliver cleaner, reliable, affordable energy for our customers. And with that, I'll turn the presentation back over to Aaron. Thank you, Greg. This concludes the presentation. We would now like to open the call to take questions from analysts. If you have a question, please pick up your receiver and press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And your first question comes from Linda Ezergalis of TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering um, how you're thinking about uh, the outlook for your operations in the U.S. with the um, new Biden administration, uh, recognizing uh, that um, there's going to be an accelerated, um, uh, I guess, drive to reduce greenhouse gases in the energy transition in addition to just general electrification driving demand. How might this influence Amera's business and strategy uh, beyond uh, kind of where you've taken it, and where do you expect to see the largest benefits as you grow your franchise? Thanks, uh, Linda, for the question. Look, you, you know, I think as 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 you point out, the you know the Biden administration plans to look to accelerate decarbonation uh, decarbonization across the broad economy. You know, frankly, is directionally positive for. For us, it certainly aligns with our strategy of, of, of decarbonizing and continuing the journey uh, to reduce the carbon intensity of the energy that we're delivering for our customers. Obviously, you know, we'll continue to, uh, to pay attention to uh, policies as they, as they develop and looking to ensure that we're capturing um, to the greatest extent possible those that can benefit our customers and uh, allow uh, Tampa Electric, but you know, frankly, uh, People's Gas and New Mexico Gas uh, as well. Uh, to do our part, to do their part, as uh, as uh, we look to uh, continue that decarbonization journey, and if if the government policy mandates a, a faster path than that that we're already on, obviously we will execute that. And from a investor perspective, that creates more opportunities. And our job in running the utility is to make sure that we're transparent around cost impacts and making sure that we're constantly uh, working to manage affordability impacts for customers. 
Thank you. And um, as you uh, see these opportunities uh, beyond 2022, I'm wondering uh, what factors you will consider to either extend your 4 to 5% dividend growth or, um, you know, what might cause you to revise that and when might you uh, deliberate upon that? And can you comment on, I guess, payout ratio, balance sheet, foreign exchange, and other factors? So, look, I mean, obviously all those things I mentioned go, go into, you know, our considerations around, um, you know, financial policy and target capital structure and, um, uh, and, and dividend policy. You know, I think, obviously, you know, dividends get set by the – by the board of directors, and uh, and typically we we do that uh, in uh, uh, in the fall uh, of of each year. I would expect that's the timing uh, that uh, we would do that again this year. But I'd also remind you that when we you know when we pivoted from the previous dividend growth rate target to the four to five percent target that we have now, we we did that uh, with a view. Obviously, we put a time bound to it. But we did it with a view as to establishing a dividend rate that we thought was likely to be sustainable over the longer term with an objective that our earnings growth uh, will be higher than our targeted dividend growth uh, that allows us to effectively grow our payout ratio down over time. And that, you know, all those things uh, continue to remain true uh, today. But, um, but as to the root of your question, I would expect we'd uh, see some clarity on that in the fall. Thank you. And uh, maybe more of an operational uh, follow-up question. Um, I'm assuming that uh, the energy marketing and trading business is off to a good start this year, given the cold weather we're seeing. Uh, but any commentary about what Q1 is looking like would, would help us kind of fine-tune our, our expectations for Q1. Um, Linda, it's Judy. So you're right that, uh, that we're having a solid start to 2021. Um, but really, I wouldn't go anything beyond that. If you kind of, I know that there's some markets that are ripping into $100 price points. That's not happening in New England. Um, but uh, there has been, you know, healthy trading ranges between, let's say, $7 and $15, which does provide us with some opportunities. The way things have worked out, we've had access to transportation capacity um, under several AMAs that we've been able to deploy profitably. So I'm... I would be very reluctant to start to try to provide quarterly guidance on Amira Energy, but I will say that um, it has been a decent winter uh, so far January. So we would just normally continue to guide that we would expect to be within our normal earnings range of 15 to 30 million U.S. at this point in the year. Thank you, Judy, and uh, congratulations uh, to Nancy on a successful career in her retirement. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you, Linda. Your next question comes from Ben Pham of BMO. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Good morning. I wanted to touch base, Alanix Loop, uh, any updates uh, commercially since the throne speech uh, last year and also been some changes at the infrastructure bank? Yeah, Ben, it's it's Scott and and uh, you know Peter Peter Gregg is on too, and Peter's uh, been uh, been immersed obviously in 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 this project initiative along with uh, uh, other of our colleagues uh, within Amira and Nova Scotia Power. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything as advanced commercially, Ben. I think you know this is still at this point this is about shaping shaping the opportunity in terms of alignment of 
of, of the opportunity uh, that it can create for the region as a whole. Obviously, you know, we're focused on what it means for Nova Scotia, but we know for this project to, to come together, it needs to provide benefits to, uh, to, to New Brunswick, to, um, uh, to Quebec, um, and to Newfoundland Labrador uh, as, as well. And so we're working with, with those provinces as well as our utility partners and the federal government uh, to uh, capitalize on this opportunity to accelerate the decarbonization in Atlantic Canada. Uh, from what would otherwise be a 2040 time frame to as early as 2030. And we're encouraged by the momentum that we seem to be building with this and the, um, the engagement that, um, that the, all those government uh, parties and, uh, and others have uh, uh, expressed so far. But it's, you know, it's a long road ahead. It's very complex given the multi-party nature uh, of, the, of the project. And you know, we're hoping to be in a place where we can talk with some more clarity around it by the third quarter. Uh, but at this, at this point in time, we're just continuing to advance the shaping and discussions and trying to see if we can get this all together. Okay, and then you're, so if, uh, theoretically, if, if this project were to, to be commercialized, then, then they're actually your, your net zero carbon uh, targets. Uh, it could be a 10-year uh, SR ration at potentially. Yeah, this is this is about you know the, both the 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 addition of additional transmission or the the, the availability of additional transmission, um, uh, as well as um, you know additional um, infrastructure build in Nova Scotia, including more renewable generation, including storage technologies. The combination of all those things could position us to enable uh, Nova Scotia Power to retire its coal plants. 10 years earlier than what is currently um, uh, envisioned uh, through the equivalency agreement that is in place between the province of Nova Scotia and the government of Canada. So could see it accelerate from 2040 to 2030. Uh, that's the effort that we put put forward. But as I say, there's you know there's lots of lots of lots of steps to line up uh, still, and uh, hoping we have more clarity um, and perspective that we can share uh, by the third quarter of the year. Okay. And it made this question for, for Greg uh, next, and you had a commentary around the prep market uh, improving. Is that is that only a function of, of cost of capital or your cash tax situation that's, that's driving that? And, and can you also share your thoughts on uh, uh, mandatory converts? Is that a potential lever that you could look at uh, adding to your funding plan? Yeah, Ben, I think... I think the way to interpret the comments is when we look at how our existing preferred shares are trading and, and extrapolate that on what we think a new issue would look like, um, it, it starts to become you know, um, pretty competitive versus the other sources of capital that's available to us. Uh, I think at this point in time, um, although you know, we always look at other products that are out there, it's probably reasonable to assume that we'll probably um, be fairly consistent with what we have done in the past and, and do a traditional uh, Canadian dollar preferred share offering, uh, but we haven't concluded on that at this point in time. Okay, that's, that's great. And also, want to extend my retirement uh, or to Nancy's uh, uh, best wishes to retirement as well. Thank you, Ben. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan of RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Good morning. Um, maybe I'm going to start with the Tampa Electric rate case. You, you called it or 
characterize it as being straightforward, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on a potential negotiated settlement and specifically um, are custom features attractive to you, such as ROE protection against higher interest rates or immediate uh, tax increase uh, recovery flow through, you know, the types of things that we saw in the Duke settlement? Nancy? Yep, I will. Uh, I'll take that. Uh, good morning, Robert. Um, negotiated settlement is definitely a possibility here. Um, as you said, Duke uh, got a negotiated, uh, got a settlement. They negotiated a settlement in advance of even filing a rate case. Um, so, you know, the, the timing of that might come after discovery. Um, you know, I, I think we're in it now. We filed our test year letter. We'll file our rate case soon, and I suspect that interveners will want to get a sense of our case. We, we uh, you know, we're very confident in our case, of course, and, and so, um, and, and of course, SPL has filed, as you know, like, and no doubt know that uh, they filed as well. So it's a busy agenda for the FPSC here in Florida, and, and so um, I think that also um, is likely that, uh, that the, uh, the interveners will want to settle. That's great. Um, and maybe if I can just finish the question. On you know, funding leverage and payout, uh, there was a question earlier just on on the Biden administration policies. Um, as you look at those with respect to decarbonization, and with that renewables and electrification, there's quite possibly a bias to upside uh, in future capex. So I'm just wondering, what's the strategy um, in, in terms of responding whenever that shows up? or do you feel it's prudent to start taking action um, in the near term to help get in front of that? Well, I think, you know, I'd, I'd answer it this way, Robert, and, you know, maybe Nancy has, uh, has some additional perspective that I encourage you to share. But I think, you know, largely, Robert, we're, you know, we're already on a path, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're very focused already on, on decarbonizing. And if you think about, you know, Tampa, Tampa Electric, and four years ago, uh, when um, when Amir acquired them, had you know very little renewable generation in in the mix. Today, as you heard, we you know have more solar generation on a per customer basis than any, any other utility. We're looking to effectively double what we now have uh, in place, while at the same time retiring coal units and replacing that with faster acting, um, modern, efficient gas uh, uh, generation. Uh, and of course, making reliability investments. So, so I think in many ways, you know, I think we're aligned with the uh, objectives of the of the Biden administration. And you know, our job as we as we do that and meet the customers' needs and desires for improved reliability and, and cleaner energy, we also have to make sure that we're being transparent and upfront as to the impact on on cost um, and. And so, you know, that largely comes about making sure that we're doing it at a pace uh, that uh, doesn't sacrifice affordability. And that's, you know, that's very much our focus and the plan that Nancy and her team have put forward at Tampa Electric, which is consistent with how we think about it across all of our utilities. If there is something that, that requires us to move faster by way of government policy, then obviously we'll respond to that. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to execute our strategy of, Continuing to make um, uh, cleaner and re reliable, focused uh, reliability-focused investments uh, without sacrificing affordability, and so I think we're aligned. Um, we won't get ahead of uh, 
and getting ourselves to a point where we're going faster than what uh, our customers would otherwise want us to do. Uh, but I think uh, directionally uh, aligned with um, with the Biden administration, and frankly, I think the same thing is true in in um, climate policy and energy policy here in in Canada as well. So, so if I get what you're saying, Scott. Basically, it sounds like recognizing it's early days, but what you're kind of getting out of the policies might the upside might just be crystallizing um, that rate base or capital spending upside that you've already set out, but not likely to drive above that high end so that you don't feel the need to be out in front of it from the perspective of, of refunding or, or creating balance sheet capacity. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, I mean, it's obviously early days and you know, we don't have, there's no legislation in place or anything like that. So, so what we're, you know, what we're responding to and, and I think, you know, broadly, I think the, the questions for our investor, uh, from our investors is about, you know, directionally, is this going uh, to provide more opportunities for Amira and our utilities to make investments? And I, I think it probably will. But as to the quantum of that, the exact triggers for that, the, the timing of that obviously, you know, remains very uncertain. In the meantime, you know, we're focused on executing the strategy that's in front of us that's broadly aligned uh, with the initiatives. You know, we'll see uh, what kind of legislation uh, or the like um, does come into place, both in Canada and the U.S. This is, you know, equally true in Canada, um, and respond to that once that's clear. But in the meantime, keep focused on what we always have, which is making reliability investments, making cleaner energy investments, and making sure we're doing it at a pace and with a transparency about cost that's clear and affordable for our customers. Understood. Um, Nancy, thank you for the, the answer earlier and all the best in retirement. Thank you, Robert. Your next question comes from Mark Jarvie of CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to go back to Camp Electric and the rate case and the context of, of the Duke settlement. Um, in the ROE ban and, and then also just the adjuster to the treasury yields. Is that something that you're open to in terms of those uh, ROE adjusters? And then just when you think about where the ban was went for Duke um, from your position, is, is that something that you think is, is a similar benchmark for you or, or is there an argument made from Tampa Electric's perspective to argue for a higher midpoint? So um, thank you, Mark. It's Nancy. Um, we obviously watch all the regulatory proceedings pretty closely. Duke did have, uh, you know, what we would say is a, is a headline ROE below 10, but as you point out, had there are some mechanisms in the settlement to allow them uh, to earn above that, similar to the people's gas settlement that happened earlier. Um, would we be open to something like that? Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard to tell outside the context of a full settlement. Um, we believe, um, you know, we've applied for a higher ROE, as you can see in our test letter. Um, and, and of course, FPL is, is there with us uh, also applying for a higher ROE. So, and, and we believe, you know, that we can justify that based on the amount of capital that we, um, we will put in um, into the, the, the utility over the next uh, number of years. So, um, I, I think it all, you know, it all remains to be seen, but we feel we're on pretty solid ground with our evidence and our ask for uh, ROE. Okay, that makes sense. And then just on the, maybe this is for Scott, the net zero by 2050, and 
incredible metrics in terms of milestones uh, as you think about 80% reduction by 2040. To go from that 80% reduction then to net zero from 2040 to 2050, does that require technology improvements or, or what helps you kind of close that or close that final gap to get to net zero? Yeah, Mark, it's a, you know, it's an important question. And I think, you know, we've tried to be clear in our distinction between the, the goals that we've set out for 2023 and 2025 and 2050, where, you know, we, we have a path there. We can see, we can see the path, we're on a track, uh, and we can, we can clearly see how that gets achieved. But, you know, the, the, the truth is that that transition, that uh, step from 80% carbon reduction to net zero, the path isn't as clear as we sit today, at least at least not without sacrificing affordability for customers. And so clearly, you know, we remain open to all those things in terms of uh, emerging technologies, in terms of offset markets, um, and other factors that are going to help us to achieve that vision. And broadly, from our perspective, you know, we look at it that, as you heard me say earlier in the prepared remarks, that you know, we've been executing a decarbonization strategy for 15 years, and we're now setting a target that uh, it, we believe we can achieve an 80% reduction by 2040. But clearly, we're not going to stop when we get there, and we're going to continue to execute on that strategy of, of decarbonizing, and, and that vision, that ambition for us to achieve net zero is, is very passionate about it. Um, but the fact is that the path to get there without sacrificing affordability today, yes, we'll, we'll need to rely upon things like emerging technologies, continuing reduction in cost for those emerging technologies, uh, as well as uh, looking at offset markets and, and, uh, and other uh, levers that will be important not just for us, but for everyone who is looking at executing a path to, uh, to net zero, um, particularly well, we remain so focused on ensuring that we're not sacrificing affordability to achieve that. And then just to follow up, in terms of getting to the 80% reduction, that can be done with the existing technology. It's really just balancing affordability, or, or do you still feel like that 80% reduction is still a bit of a stretch goal by 2040? Well, I mean, I think, I think there's a, a bit of a stretch in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of work to do to achieve that. I think it's definitely counting on continuing to see falling prices for things like storage technology, uh, frankly, um, uh, and factors like that, but largely is, is, um, uh, is uh, in place with uh, a vision around technology that exists today. We're not sort of looking for, um, for miracles to appear in order to achieve that 80% reduction. We see um, both upon the continuation of the path that we're already on with benefit of the generation planning work, uh, and the IRP work, the integrated resource planning work that's been done across our utilities, you know, we can see the path to achieve that just based on naturally uh, what we're doing within the generation profile, particularly for uh, Tampa Electric and for Nova Scotia Power. Uh, and so for there, we're, you know, we're, we're counting on existing technologies, albeit uh, counting on continuing decreasing pricing uh, again in order to make sure that uh, we're, we're constantly keeping customer affordability in sight. Okay. Thanks, Scott. And all the best to you, Nancy, in your retirement. Thank you very much, Mark. Your next question comes from David Quezada of Raymond James. Your line is open. Thanks. Morning, everyone. Um, my first question here, just just on the $1.2 uh of, of 
projects under development that are kind of the upper bound of your CapEx plan. Just wondering if you could touch on how maybe the key elements of that uh, have progressed over the last few months since you first outlined them, and maybe just thoughts on timing about when you would add them to that sort of base capital plan. Yeah, uh, David, it's Craig. I, I, I can't say there's anything uh, explicit to call out on, on anything over the last couple of months. We'd likely uh, provide an update on that um, consistent with our annual update every fall. Um, I, I think you, you've heard us talk about it before. Roughly half of it would be related to the Atlantic Loop or something like that, more regional transmission and the early stages of that. Uh, about 25% of, of that 1.2 is, is any number of projects at Tampa Electric over the next few years, but that represents less than 10% of their capital spend and, and virtually uh, the, the last balance of it is, is spread across all of our other businesses, but there's nothing outside of the comments that Scott had around the Atlantic Loop. There's nothing uh, significant to, to highlight at this point. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And then maybe just other one, one other one, just on the general talk, topic of uh, decarbonization. I know you already have 30 megawatts of battery storage planned uh, at Tampa Electric. I'm just curious if you have uh, additional sites that you think could move forward uh, if we were to see some kind of a tax credit or something like that, um, potential upside, I guess, to that that target. Nancy, you want to? Yeah, uh, so David, is, is other solar sites, is that what your battery storage sites? Um, we, you know, as as you know, if that was your question, uh, as you know, we're, we've been on a very, very aggressive um, solar build here in in, um, in Tampa, uh, 600 megawatts, and we're now into our second 600 megawatts. Uh, we continue to look for land, and uh, and in fact, we're going to do a very small um, uh, sort of water, uh, you know, solar on on water to see what that is, uh, what how that works for us, and and we're also going to do a study this year to understand how we integrate even more solar into our system. Uh, solar battery storage, et cetera. So we continue to work every day to to uh, understand how we can put more renewables on our system here and and work to make sure that um, you know we've got the capacity to do it, uh, both from a land perspective and from a a, a system operation technology perspective. Um, but we've got six hundred megawatts to build in, uh, right in front of us now over the next three years and and we're very focused on executing that. Excellent. Thanks for that color, and, and I'll echo the comments. Uh, Nancy, congratulations on the retirement. Thank you very much, David. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny of National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning. Um, I guess just on the retirement of, of Unit 3 at Big Bend, and I guess coming back to the conversation around achieving net zero, could you just remind us of the uh, the current timeline for retiring unit four, um, or at least transitioning the unit to full natural gas. And, and I guess outside of, you know, those emerging technologies or sequestration becoming affordable, um, maybe you can just comment if, if you're starting to build up your inventory of emission offset credits as we speak, just as a, say, a, a backup plan for achieving that zero by 2035. Um. Patrick, I'll answer. It's Nancy. I'll answer the uh, the Big Ben three and and four. So as you say, we are retiring Big Ben three early. Uh, 
Big Bend 4 today, as you know, operates on, on coal. Uh, we intend to retire that, uh, uh, you know, sort of, it'll be, it's on a path for uh, its useful life. Um, we are doing some work this year, though, that will allow us to operate that at full power, both on coal and natural gas, so it will have the ability to be uh, at full load on natural gas this year. I think uh, the, the other question was uh, was likely for Scott, was it? Yeah, and I think, um, Patrick, I think, you know, so at this point, no, we're not building up an inventory of, um, of, of credits at, uh, at this point, as I say. You know, clarity of legislation is still is still a ways a ways away. But um, I think you know, back tied into the previous question, as uh, as as climate policy, as energy policy uh, becomes becomes more clear, obviously we'll we'll respond to uh, that. In the meantime, we're just continuing to focus on uh, on our own decarbonization. Okay, that's helpful. And then I guess more broadly speaking. Um, Scott, just wondering if you could provide a bit more color on, you know, some of the opportunities you're seeing out there around decentralized generation, um, maybe as well uh, energy efficiency programs, and just, you know, maybe clarify how these trends are supporting a tailwind for earnings going forward, as opposed to, you know, being a risk to your base outlook. Yeah, it's and it's a, you know, it's a really good question, and and. One that you you know you describe rightly in the context of of uh, strategic in nature and thinking about it uh, uh, and you know our efforts are focusing on capturing that as a as an opportunity and managing managing the risk. Obviously, you know some would look at decentralization and think, well, what that means is rooftop solar. Well, yes, it might mean that, but it can mean a whole bunch of other things too, where we are very focused and whether that's in um, in community solar based. Uh, uh, based initiatives in um, in Tampa, uh, whether it's in uh, looking at distributed uh, battery storage um, in uh, Florida and in Nova Scotia uh, Power, that uh, uh, initiatives that are underway right now, and then additionally, it's you know it's looking at um, emerging technologies or even technologies that we're looking to advance. And you've heard us talk before about. Uh, block energy and and what uh, a team uh, here led by uh, Rob Bennett has been been doing in looking at uh, taking uh, the decentralized the distributed concept and thinking about it as an in front of meter uh, kind of uh, service where we can look to utilize rooftop solar combined with um, uh, residential battery storage interconnected within a community to community backup generation, and maybe even uh, more community renewable-based generation with an inner tie to the grid. And this is technology that has, we've developed, is now working, um, has actively been working at a demonstration site at Kirkland Air Force Base uh, in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, and is now in deployment in a pilot uh, residential sub in Florida in partnership with Lennar Homes, one of the largest home builders. Uh, in the U.S. and Tampa Electric currently has a filing in front of the uh, Florida Public Service Commission in looking to support through the regulatory environment effectively the rate basing of that infrastructure where the utility can then operate that um, clean distributed generation source, interconnect uh, customers, provide a reliability uh, level to customers that is very difficult to achieve within existing technologies 
Um, and um, and so you know we're excited about that prospect. It's certainly early days, uh, but uh, but looking forward to advancing that project in uh, uh, in Florida and continue to advance the story of Block Energy as we see as to whether that's a, a potential uh, and meaningful opportunity for us in the context of decentralization. Great, much appreciated, Scott, and uh, all the best, Nancy, in your retirement. Congratulations. Thank you, Pastor. Your next question comes from Andrew Kuski of Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, um, Scott. I think you mentioned earlier on, despite all the health and safety protocols this year, which obviously was challenging, you still managed to execute your largest capital program ever. So the question really becomes, you know, given what you've learned over the course of a challenging year, when, when we return more to normal, does that allow you to scale the capital program to a greater degree with a, even a higher degree of confidence? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick, Andrew, um, it's, you know, I think, I think largely as it relates to, you know, the operations um, and construction activity that was in execution of that capital plan was, you know, was really largely about additional protocols that were, were put in place. Um, how do we manage social distancing, ensuring we've got uh, masking in place, um, uh, obviously being being a couple of, of key examples as to the implications of that, but also even managing supply chains um, when uh, when those things became more more strained and making sure that we were managing that uh, to avoid impacts on on construction activity. So I, you know, I, I guess notionally you could look at it and think that that, that should uh, provide an enhancing uh, impact to our ability to to manage these programs. But I, I think more broadly it was really more just about um, you know, sort of looking at these things from the perspective of, of maintaining efficiency, uh, even in the face of changes. Um, and so I think from that, there's lots of good learnings for our teams, and I'm sure, you know, not, not dissimilar uh, for all of our uh, industry peers about the ability to respond to those changes, to adapt our processes, and continue to execute um, near flawlessly, uh, frankly, while keeping our team um, uh, and, uh, and the community safe. Uh, through that, I think really was the biggest the biggest learning, as opposed to um, you know any meaningful impact on the ability to uh, to scale that execution. Okay, that's helpful color and context. Um, maybe if we ran with the argument that there's green stimulus and you could actually ramp your capital program given what you've learned, how do you think about funding and and maybe just some color on what we saw with Duke and GIC? Is that an alternative or an approach that you would? potentially contemplate to help surface value and just have additional flexibility? Yeah, I, I think I think it's premature to say that, Andrew. It's, it, it's Greg. Obviously, um, you know, effort to sell some assets, in particular our virgin gas plants in the mirror main um, to, to fund our business going forward uh, and have no plans to, to um, you know, we're complete that side of it, so we have no plans to do anything further at this time. Um, you know, selling a minority interest in one of our regulated utilities—it's um, not something we've looked at before, um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure, quite frankly, how I feel about it. But you know, in the event that we see some acceleration of our capital plan, we'll do what we always do at that point in time: is, is look at what's the most effective way of raising that capital and the most cost-effective way as well. Um, but I think it's just kind of premature to, to draw conclusions on what we may or may not do a few years. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you very much.
Your next question comes from Matthew Weeks of IA Capital Markets. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. I was wondering if you'd be able to provide a little bit of granularity as to sort of uh, your FX uh, hedging program. And, you know, going forward, we're seeing a bit of uh, sort of weakness in, in the U.S. dollar. How, how we could expect that to maybe impact uh, earnings in, in 2021? Yeah, Matthew, it's, it's it's correct. Certainly, you know, I mean, as always, we'll see volatility in the, in the Canadian dollar, and, and that's, you know, that certainly has been the case over the last year or so, um, and, and most recently, obviously, some strength. Um, you know, rough numbers, kind of, th- kind of think of it as every penny change in the currency. So, you know, 130 to 129, as an example, would be about a penny in EPS. Um, and and we we do some earnings hedges. We have about 25 to 30 percent of our business uh, hedged in 2021 at, at rates uh, north of 140 right now. Um, and we'll you know we'll continue to look at opportunities if we see some additional weakness in the, in the Canadian dollar to put on some incremental hedges. Okay, thanks very much. And and I was wondering as well uh, if you'd be able to provide a sort of similar rough uh, a breakdown of how maybe weather impacted uh earnings in uh tampa electric specifically and uh and how maybe that could uh reverse going forward with uh, some normalization yeah outside matthew what you know we've already provided um you know i'm not so sure i can i can be much more helpful so you know we you know we you know we certainly saw some benefit on a year-over-year basis Probably about 14 million dollars after tax, so on U.S. dollars. So think of it more like probably 20 million dollars pre-tax, or, or you know, 18 million dollars pre-tax um, from weather-related. You know, if you're trying to equate that to load, um, you know, probably the easiest thing, and, and I haven't done the math, it'd be go to the segment information in the MDNA, and you can see the change in load on a, um, you, you know, on a year-over-year basis, but. In general, um, you know, we would expect that, you know, load in 2021 is probably going to be more like 19 uh, and, and less like what we experienced in 2020. Okay, thanks very much. That's it for me. And uh, Nancy, congratulations on uh, retirement. All the best. Thank you, Matthew. Your next question comes from Elias Foscolos of Industrial Alliance. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. Um, just want to follow up on a, a, a macro question. And first of all, Archie and, and Nancy, both of you, congratulations. Um, on the macro side, are you seeing any inflationary pressure, uh, particularly in the U.S.? And uh, how would you classify that if you do see it? I'll leave it at that. So, Elias, it's, it's Scott. Certainly, certainly nothing that is uh, that is driving any particular uh, focus, attention, or concern at, at my level. Um, but I know uh, you know Nancy and uh, and uh, Ryan are both on. I don't know whether they're seeing anything as it relates to their supply chains or anything that would. Uh, uh, would give any clarity of answer to your question, but but certainly, uh, Elias, nothing nothing that's caught my attention yet. Nancy? Yeah, I would concur, Scott. Nothing that's really caught our attention here, for sure. 
Brian, anything yeah. anything on your end? Yeah, no, I, I we've not seen anything here as well, so I would concur. Okay, uh, I'll leave it at that. I, I appreciate that caller. It's just we were hearing from our chief economist today, and they 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 said that the U.S. that's the focal point for the U.S. Fed. So uh, I thought I would bring that up. So we'll leave it at that. But thank you very much. There are no further questions at this time. I will now return the call to our presenters for closing remarks. Uh, thank you, Chris. And thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning and for your continued interest and support in America. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Your participation is appreciated. You may now disconnect. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.